0: May God bless my speaking, may God bless our listening, that the good news may be proclaimed. Amen. Amen. Have you had any unexpected encounters this week? The person next to you on a train or a bus? Someone behind you in the checkout queue? Someone seeking directions or perhaps asking you for money? Each encounter with a stranger opens up possibilities, unknown territory. Scary? Exciting? Or both? Well, today's Gospel reading centres on an unexpected encounter, one that was to have life-changing consequences for many people. It's set at Jacob's well, a place that marks the early unfolding of the story of God's people, as their ancestor Jacob, uh, described in Genesis chapter 33, comes home from his exile and settles in the land promised to his descendants. The well, which is about 100 feet deep, is still there. It's in modern-day Nablus in the West Bank. And it's one of the few places in the Holy Land where you can say with complete confidence, Jesus was actually here, in this exact place. And you can still draw water from it too. And it was in this place that Jesus had a conversation that broke all the rules. It crossed boundaries of race and gender and religion as he brought good news to an unnamed woman and through her to her whole village community. Before we look at that conversation, let's just recap a bit of the background of the relationship between Jews and Samaritans. Jews and Samaritans originated from the same Abrahamic roots, they were both descendants of King David but when the kingdom split into two after David's son Solomon had died, then those paths of the two kingdoms diverged under separate rulers. Eventually, both parts of the kingdom were to be conquered by the nations. But the northern kingdom fell first, and its citizens were deliberately mixed up with uh, people of other nationalities and faiths. Um, And they came then, that new nation, mixed up nation, to be known as Samaritans, after the name of the city built by one of their rather wicked kings. The people in the southern part of the kingdom, though, in Judah, were taken into exile... And in their exile, they were allowed to practice their faith and develop their theology. And if anything, that uh, rather purified it. They focused, they reflected, they thought about where had God been in their journey. And when they were eventually allowed back into Jerusalem, they brought with them that refined, purified, concentrated theology and understanding of who God is. And so the two nations had had a really very different experience through that conquering um, and were never to be friendly again. As the Jews returned, they rather looked down on their Samaritan neighbours, who they saw as having been polluted by their contact with other nations and faiths. And there was downright hostility, as we can read in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. By the time of Jesus, the situation was that the Samaritans professed to believe in the God of Israel and awaited the coming of the Messiah. They accepted the first five books of the law, but rejected the rest of the Old Testament scriptures. They were regarded with loathing by the Pharisees, who taught that food from a Samaritan was unclean and so should not be shared. So Jesus has chosen to walk through the middle of this land that is fraught with religious and physical danger. It's the straight line between Jerusalem and Galilee, but many travelers preferred to avoid it by taking the road east to Jericho and then following the Jordan Valley much as tourists tend to do these days. At the heat of the day, Jesus is to be found resting at the well, while his disciples, we're told, go to buy food. And that in itself is a rejection of the teaching of the Pharisees. And from the city comes a woman alone to draw water. As the conversation emerges, we begin to sense why she might be coming alone at this time of day instead of in a group of women early in the morning or in the evening when it was cooler. She's clearly something of an outcast. She's either been divorced or widowed five times, and there's something very suspicious about her current relationship. Maybe the other women view her as bad luck, or maybe it's their husbands that she's uh, been consorting with. And so the encounter between this woman and Jesus begins. Jesus breaks all the rules with that opening statement, that opening request, will you give me a drink? The Pharisees, had they been present, would have had a field day. First of all, a Jew shouldn't have been asking a Samaritan for a drink. And secondly, as a man, he shouldn't have been engaging in conversation with a woman. It's highly risky behavior. But that's Jesus for you. He does break the man-made rules. He does cross the boundaries because what he has to offer just can't be contained within the old wineskins of a rule-bound religion. Initially, I suspect this conversation was quite light and bantering. You know, who are you to ask me for a drink? Well, if you knew who I am, you wouldn't have asked that. Oh, come off it, you haven't got a bucket. How are you going to get a drink? It's quite sort of superficial but it very quickly goes deep as i'm sure you've been discovering in these conversations in john's gospel jesus has the ability to slip beneath the superficial conversational gambits and speak truth to the heart of his conversation partners nicodemus the highborn pharisee nathaniel under his fig tree simon and andrew fishermen and followers And so, in this conversation with the woman, Jesus hints at a spiritual promise which she can either ignore or accept. Whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst. The water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. When she accepts, saying, give me this water... I wonder, does she have any idea what she's saying yes to? This cleansing, dynamic spring of water is about to flush out the murkier depths of her life as Jesus makes it clear that he knows who she is and what her issues are. Commentators are divided on whether this exposure opens her up to asking the deeper questions or whether her next question is an attempt to deflect Jesus away from her personal life. My gut feeling on it is that she is genuinely open to hearing the answer because of the way she later rushes back to her village to share the news. It's as if the early part of the conversation is just a bit of verbal sparring But now they get down to the really serious business. Where is God and who is right? Is it the Samaritans or is it the Jews? Jesus affirms the Jewish tradition, but he then transcends it, telling her that true worship goes beyond the place or the people. True worship, inspired by the Spirit, will be able to take place anywhere. He says, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will be able to worship God in spirit and in truth. It's fascinating that Jesus says this time has now come. It's not dependent on his death and resurrection or the outpouring at Pentecost. His presence alone is enough to make that true worship possible. The woman is in the transforming, redeeming presence of Christ, and all is being revealed to her. And so her final comment goes to the deepest longing of all, the coming Messiah. When he comes, all will be revealed. She doesn't ask it as a question, but Jesus treats it as if it is. I, who speak to you... Am He What a revelation. This Jewish man who has surprised her, challenged her, exposed her, answered her, now says he is the answer to everyone's deepest longings. And that's where today's reading ends. What a cliffhanger. Of course, you can read ahead and find out what comes next, but I won't trespass on next week's preacher's territory. Instead, let's look back through this conversation so far and see what we can learn. I noticed that Jesus' unfolding revelation is a gradual one. Look at the progression in the way that the woman addresses him. First, she sees him as just a Jew. Then, sir, some increasing respect there. Next, a prophet. And finally, the Messiah. If Jesus had begun the conversation proclaiming he was the Messiah, well, she probably would have written him off as a nutcase. But instead, he's engaged with her, invited her into the conversation... And it's through that conversation she is being led deeper into truth. Through seeing and hearing, she begins to believe. And that rings true with what we know today of how people become Christians. Often, it is a gradual process of small steps, of unfolding understanding, until that point when you realize that, Jesus is the best, indeed the only, option for real, true life as it's meant to be lived. That's not surprising when you consider Christianity is a relational faith. It's all about relationship with God through Jesus, and relationships often take time to develop. Think about our relationships with other people. Sometimes, there's a sudden crisis or experience that throws us together with strangers and we develop a strong bond very quickly. But mostly, it's quite a gradual thing. As we get to know someone better, we take little steps towards each other in trust and intimacy. And it can be like that with getting to know Jesus. It's true sometimes it's a sudden overwhelming conviction But for many others, it is a series of steps of increasing faith and trust. I noticed that Jesus' conversation with the woman is deeply gracious. He could have preached at her about her sinfulness, but he didn't. He exposed it to show that he knew who he was talking to to reach a place of honesty rather than subterfuge to show that nothing is hidden from the god who knows all the secrets of our hearts but he doesn't rub her nose in it he's aware of her needs and her response and he continues to answer her questions that reveal her spiritual needs He deals with her in a gracious, loving, and respectful way. And that's a model for all of us as we share Jesus with our neighbors and friends. Respectful, loving, gracious, and truthful. Telling how it is for us without feeling the need to put down another. Sharing good news so that they too can see and believe. And finally, I notice so much that is gratifying about this conversation. It meets the deepest needs of this woman. Needs she didn't even realize she had. And Jesus' offer of living water, that spring that wells up within us, resonates with us today. We are so thirsty in our world today. Thirsty for what is real, what is clean, what is life giving. Thirsty for acceptance, for forgiveness, for a fresh start. And on this Remembrance Sunday, we remember and we are saddened afresh by the hundreds and thousands of lives lost to bloody conflicts, past and present and we lament our inability to love our neighbour and to live as God intended. We need, our world needs, that life-giving water to revive us. As we drink deeply from the water of life in our worship today, we pray for transformation for the courage to transcend barriers, and for the courage to make a difference to a thirsty world. Amen.